right, Psalms chapter 13. Psalms chapter 13. <clears throat> Got quite a number. I guess a few out sick tonight. Bradley and Amber are coming. They're just running late. Psalms chapter 13. Beginning at verse 1. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemies be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemies say, I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord, because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Title the message tonight, Enlightened by His Word. Enlightened by His Word. So let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity is ours to be assembled together tonight and open thy precious word that we might be encouraged and enlightened in thy truth. Uh, Lord, we live in a troubled world, but yet we can have rest and assurance and confidence in thee, uh, knowing that there's a purpose and a meaning to life. And Father, that you are still on the throne, you haven't forsaken us, and uh, we can trust in you. So just encourage our hearts and strengthen us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Do you ever feel like you're all alone? That everybody's forsaken you? You know, Paul said, you know, that all had forsaken him at one point, and when he wrote Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and the psalmist here in verses 1 and 2 has that feeling forsaken feeling. And I say feeling forsaking feeling on purpose because it's a feeling. It's only a feeling to a child of God. You know what a feeling is? It's some emotional perception we have, but it's not reality. He says, how long wilt thou forget me? Oh, Lord. And then he says, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart? How long shall I, mine enemy, be exalted over me? And so I want to see things, two things about feeling forsaken. First of all, the case of feeling forsaken. You know, sometimes, sometimes the Lord allows us to go through trials. We know that Psalm 11, verses 4 and 5 says, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous. He tries the righteous. The word try means he tests. And why does the Lord allow us to go through trials? Well, 
One reason is to test us. Genesis 22.1, Bible says the Lord did tempt Abraham. That means he, he, he put Abraham to the test. And, of course, the test was to sacrifice his own son, his only son, his promised son. So it was a test. You know, why does God test us? Does God not know what we will do? No, I think God tests us to reveal you to yourself. That's why God tests us, to reveal you and I to ourselves. It shows us who we really are. You know, sometimes we can get to think, oh, we're pretty good, you know. And then there may come a test in life where we realize, oh, not as big as I thought I was. I'm not as strong as I thought I was. I'm not as smart as I thought I was. You know, the Lord allows us to be tested to reveal ourselves to ourselves. Second reason that he tests us, is, or he tries us, is to mature us. It is to increase our faith. Go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. <clears throat> Verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall in the diverse temptations. Knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. Well, let patience have a perfect work. You may be perfect and entire. And again, the picture there is of full maturity. Perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that waveth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So God allows us to be tested or tries us to mature us, to increase our faith. There's an interesting thing. Go to, go to Luke chapter 17. And I know I think weird sometimes. Maybe, maybe you'll, maybe you'll uh, agree with what I'm looking at here. But in Luke chapter 17, in <clears throat> verse 5, the apostles, that says the apostles sent of the Lord, increase our faith. Did you ever say to yourself, I wish I had more patience? How do you get patience? How do you learn patience? You have to be tried. You have to be tested. In other words, this kind of thing is going to come into your life that's going to try your patience. You have to work at it. And the disciples here are saying, Lord, increase our faith. How do you increase your faith? Well, drop down to verse 12. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers. Oh, these are the outcasts of society. They're supposed to stay, everybody's supposed to stay away from them, you know. And which stood afar off, which that's what they were supposed to do, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, 
Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this, notice again the wording, stranger. So the disciples have asked to increase our faith. You know, they're, they're true, full-blooded Jews. And soon after, these ten men, lepers, who are supposed to be outcasts, supposed to stay away from everybody, ask Jesus to, to heal them or to help them. And so he, he commands them to go show themselves priests. And on the way, they, they're cleansed. And one, one comes back and falls down at his feet and gives thanks to God. And he's a Samaritan. An outcast. Those are looked down on. You know, I have to wonder if the disciples were saying, first it's lepers, and now it's Samaritans. Because the Jews don't have any dealings with Samaritans. And then they then they go to chapter 18, and verse... Uh, uh, one, he tells them, he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not faint. And going, that's if you if you're gonna if you're gonna uh, increase your faith, you have to pray more. But look at verse nine. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted themselves they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a publican. So uh, now, who are the publicans? The publicans are the traitors in society. They're also hated because they're Jewish men who have who have. Uh, sold themselves out to the Roman government to tax the Jewish people. And not only do they tax them, they pad their pockets in the meat as well. So these are the hated and despised of society. And Jesus says there's a Pharisee and the other's a publican. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee, I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in a week, I give tithes all that I possess, and the publican, standing afar off, would not so much lift up his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So now they're faced with the Pharisees condemned, and the publican is justified. And again, I have to wonder what's going through their minds. Is this what it means to have real faith? We have, to, we have to receive into the kingdom of God the Samaritans and the publicans, but not only just the publicans, but also the chief of the publicans. Because look at chapter 19. And who do you have now? It's Zacchaeus. And it says he was the chief among the publicans, and, 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 he, and of course Jesus went to his house, which caused a murmuring amongst the people about Jesus. You know, many times, the maturing process, as I said, sometimes God allows trials to come into our life to mature us, to increase our faith, and many times this maturing process is to just to get us out of our comfort zone. You think the disciples were having to work at accepting a Samaritan and then a publican and then the chief of the publicans? That was just a little bit beyond their comfort level. 
We have to, you know, maturing is a process to get us over ourselves. It's humbling ourselves and it's broadening our usefulness. A lady, lady said that we had a funeral in Maine. All the people in church knew knew the person that died. And uh, I told the time of the visitation. I don't, I don't think it was a funeral I had, but we all knew the person. And I said, you know, encourage church people to go. And this one lady said, I don't go to such things. I'm just not comfortable. I said, you have to think of somebody besides yourself. And you need to do things for other people, whether you're comfortable doing it or not. He said, if I only did what I was comfortable, if you were in the hospital, I wouldn't come. I said, there hasn't been a hospital visit yet that I was comfortable doing. It's not a matter of comfort. It's what's right. We're to serve people, and sometimes we have to get over ourselves and go beyond our comfort zones to serve others. It Really what it boils down to is humbling ourselves. We might make a fool of money. You know, I don't know, when you're like me and you go to a funeral or a visitation, you're always worried about it, you might say the wrong thing. What do you say? Don't ask me, I don't know. I don't know what, you know. Uh, but we have to get over, our, get over ourselves. You know, uh, it was, um, yeah, Gary Forney says, if you're going to go to the mission field, one of the things you have to learn is you have to be able to learn to laugh at yourself. Because you're going to do some dumb, th- some things that they really think are stupid. And you be able, better be able to laugh at yourself. Um, third, third reason that God allows trials in their life is to test us, mature us, and also to silence the enemy. To silence the enemy. Look at Job chapter 1. <clears throat> Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1, verse 6, says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? That there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God or not? Hast thou not made a hedge about him, about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. Put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. Doth Job serve serve thee for naught? See, Satan's accusation was that Job served God because God blessed and protected Job. You know, if you're only faithful when the going is good, you're no different than the world. You know, some people, I fear, go to church for what they can get. 
just for what they can get. Now, you ought, to, you ought to get something when you go to church, but you ought not to go to church just to get. Uh, and you may be accused, people may accuse you of people going to church just to, just to get things. You know, we, we go to worship God, to serve the Lord, participation, giving, etc., be edified, learn how to serve the Lord better. But, you know, sometimes we go through those valleys of despair and we are sorely tested. And if we are faithful to God, only when the going is good, we're really no different than the world is. And what really makes a child of God stand out is when they go through those trials, they don't do like Satan said of that Job would. He'll curse thee to thy face. Job didn't do that. You see, Job put Satan to silence because he endured his trials. You know, James speaks of the patience of Job. Patience of Job. You know, Job could have been the one asking these questions. How long, Lord? How long? How long is this going to go on? You know, sometimes, again, sometimes we go through the valleys of despair, and we are severely tested, and we might ask ourselves the question, how long? Spurgeon said this, this question is repeated no less than four times. It betokens very intense desire for deliverance and great anguish of heart. It is not easy to present, prevent desire from degenerating into impatience. Oh, for grace, while we wait on God, we may be kept from indulging a murmuring spirit, unquote. So, we see the case for feeling forsaken, but I want to to see a cause here. Notice verse 2. How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? The question I'd ask, and commentators ask, is where is he getting his counsel? Notice again what he says. How long shall I take counsel in my soul? my soul. You know, why is the world in such chaos? Why are so many people troubled and at wit's end? Committing suicide? Who is their counselor? If you find out who their counselor is, you'll find out why why they're troubled and perplexed. You know, we put Bible reading and prayer out of school back in the 60s. We have allowed God to be censored out of public life. We have a major political party who voted God out of their platform. They're just being honest. They put him out a long time before that anyway. You know, mainstream America doesn't want anything to do with God. And they wonder why... They're filled with anger and bitterness and pessimism. You 
You know, Proverbs 16.2 says, All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Proverbs 16.25 says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Isaiah 55, 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. You see, the problem was, David here in this situation, he was taking counsel in his own soul. His own emotions. Your soul is the seat of your emotions, your feelings. So he's taking counsel. he's He's getting to that place where he's almost overwhelmed. Yeah, we don't know, the Bible doesn't say what the situation was, why he was in this situation, but, you know, um, but he was at, at that point. Uh, you know, his, he, he was dwelling in his own thoughts. It says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him to our God, and for he will abundantly pardon. So he needs to return unto the Lord. You know, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperate liquid. Who could know it? And the Lord says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the means, even to give every man according to his weight and according to the fruit of his doing. So why was David in despair? He had been following his own counsel, his own feelings. And if you look at the world and follow your feelings, it'll frighten you. It'll lead you to despair. I mean, I, I can't. I can only listen to so much talk radio. I'm ready to shoot the radio. Literally. Uh, One commentator said this. There is a balance in life when it comes to feelings. Some people ignore feelings and think that feelings should have nothing to do with our relationship with God. This is an extreme. Because God has given us feelings as an expression of his image in us. We can feel anger, love, care, sorrow, and many other feelings because God feels those feelings. In this sense, feelings are a gift from God and a sign that we are made in His image. On the other hand, some live their lives ruled by their feelings. They believe whatever reality their feelings present them. The problem with this is that though we have feelings because we are made in the image of God, our feelings are affected by our sin nature. We can't trust our feelings because of this. In this sense, it was all right for David to feel these feelings and good to take them to God, but he should never accept the reality of feelings as real reality. So we're not to accept the the reality of our feelings. We all have them, but they're not real. They're not the reality of life. They're just a perception of things. Because in reality, they leave God many times out of the equation. See, we're not to base we're not to base our decisions on our feelings. Our feelings, of course, are involved. We all have feelings, but we're to base our decisions upon what is truth. What is truth? G. Campbell Morgan said this, quote, This is a lesson of profound value. If the heart be overburdened and Jehovah seems to hide his face, let the story of woe be told to him. In other words, tell your woe to him. It is a holy exercise. 
Men may not understand it. They may even charge us with failing faith, unquote. So if you're overwhelmed or overburdened, and Jehovah, the Lord God doesn't seem to uh, undertake for your cause, tell it to him. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great mighty things thou knowest not. Jeremiah 33.3 says. So we all have feelings, but we will not, we will not be overcomers by our feelings, but by our faith. 1 John 5, 4 says, we overcome the world by faith, not feelings. So he was feeling forsaken. But notice the second thing. Notice him seeking the light. In verses 3 and 4, he says, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemies say I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. Now, the word lighten here means to enlighten anyone's eyes which were involved in darkness. As it were, to recall him to life. So the idea here is to, you know, one that's, that's overwhelmed or overwhelmed, or, you know, as in this situation, this context, David's overwhelmed with his own feelings and it's leading him into darkness, into despair. And, and so he asks the Lord, he says, lighten mine eyes. Uh, it's to recall him back to God, back to the one who is light, back to the one who is life. You know, when you get... When you get, when you are overwhelmed or in despair, does it not um, paralyze you? It keeps you from acting positively. And so we need the light and the life of God's word. <coughs> you know, the, the of course, light reveals the way before us, and God's word is light. It reveals the way. It reveals God's ways and God's purposes. Something that we can't see with the natural eye. Remember it says of Moses in Hebrews 11 that Moses endured as seeing him who is, what's the next word? Invisible. See the truth of God that Moses couldn't see with his eyes. So he couldn't rely on his feelings. He had to rely on his faith. Of course, Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Thy word is lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Verse 130 says, The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. So I notice two things here. No more the need for light or understanding, lest we fall into despair. You know, many have fallen. Many people fall into despair. You know, I was thinking about that, and you know, of course, you know, a lot of people commit suicide. George Sanders, who committed suicide, said, "Dear world, I am leaving because I'm bored. I feel I've lived long enough. I mean, leave you with your worries in this sweet cesspool. Good luck." He was an entertainer. He said, I'm bored. Stand-up comedian, Freddie Prince, quote, I must end it. There's no hope left. 
I'll be at peace. No one has anything to do with this. My decision totally, unquote. James Whale says, quote, the future is just old age and illness and pain. I must have peace, and this is the only way, unquote. These were despair. They took their own life. But you know, the world is without hope. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. So he says to these Ephesians, you had no hope. You had no purpose in life. There was, there, was, there was nothing, no light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, for you. You were without hope. That's why a lot of people leave this world for suicide. And a lot of people leave this world in that condition, without hope. And live that way. But now, verse 13, Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is but our peace, who hath made both one and broken down the middle wall of petition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, tainted in ordinances, or to make it himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were not. For through him we have both access by one spirit unto the Father. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners. In other words, you are no longer without hope, without purpose, but your fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed groweth together in the holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So now you that were without hope have a purpose. You are the habitation of God. It's where God dwells and reveals himself to the world. What Paul wrote to the Corinthians and says, Ye are our epistle, known and read of all men. It was during these Bible studies I've learned one thing. Beth and I met with a couple ladies last night. My wife was sick, so she couldn't do it. These would be people that would say they're Christians, although they don't know for sure, you know, but they would say they were Christians. But they are ignorant concerning the Bible. They have to go to the index to find where 1 Samuel is or Psalms. Ignorant. They're without understanding. And you know, they don't have a lot of hope either. When you really start to question them, you know, the conclusion was last night, hmm, we're kind of in trouble. 
because of what God's standard is of commandments. You see, if, without, if you're without God, you're without hope, you don't have a purpose in life. And the help of man is vain. Psalm 108 verse 12 says, give us help from trouble. Vain is the help of man. In Isaiah 37, 30 and verse 7, he says, For the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. Therefore I have a cried concerning this. Their strength is to sit still. In other words, you're to sit still and wait on the Lord. Don't go to Egypt for help. And we're to trust in the Lord and don't go to the world for help. There's no help in the world. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit thy works on the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Proverbs 19.21, There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. In other words, God's counsel is going to endure the tests of time and the tests of men. They're going to find out in the end that it is true. That it is right. And that it does work. And it does give meaning and purpose to life. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The living, we have the living word of God that gives life and meaning and purpose to life. You know, this wicked world is full of pessimism. You listen to the news, and boy, you know, we're in a bad way. We've got a bad president. We've got bad administration. We've got bad this. And Contrast that. What Mike Pence said at the commencement address for Hillsdale College back in um, May, I think it was. Anyway, he says this. Quote, America that waits your energies and ambitions to experience a new era of opportunity and optimism. You are graduating a time of growing American economy and restored American stature at home and abroad. I can personally attest from my travels across this nation that faith in America is rising once again. On the world stage, we'd see America embracing our rule as leader of the free world with action just this week on Iran and North Korea. And Monday, America will lead again when we open our new American embassy in Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. And we have a president now that doesn't cave to the Hamas and all them, you know. Here at home, business large and small are growing again. More than 3.1 million new jobs have been created in the last 15 months. Unemployment is a 17-year low. There are more jobs opening in America than ever before in our history. This is no accident. Faith in America is on the rise because President Trump and our administration have been returning America to the principles that have always been the source of our national greatness and strength. We've been expanding freedom, cutting taxes, rolling back the regulatory state, and returning authority to the people and to the states. We've been upholding the Constitution, defending our God-given liberties, enshrined in our Declaration of Independence, including the unalienable right to life. The truth is, when you leave this place, you're going to find America filled with promise, being built anew on a foundation of personal responsibility and individual freedom, unquote. Of course, the article goes on. Um, you know, but the wicked are full of pessimism. They can't see the light. 
because they've turned away from the light. The only source of light is the word of God. And we follow the principles, whether it be in government or in our church or in individual lives. It gives purpose and meaning to life, even in the midst of trials. So we see a need for understanding lest we fall into despair. Secondly, there's a need for understanding lest the enemy get the victory. Notice verse 4 of our text says in Psalm 13, Lest mine enemies say I have prevailed against him, and those that troll me rejoice when I am moved. So what he's saying here is I don't want my enemy to say that I... I, I prevailed against David. I defeated him. The word moved means turned aside from right. You know what's really sad and it really troubled me, troubles me more than anything is when Christian leaders capitulate, capitulate to LBGT crowd and those, I like that, and liberalism because of pressure. They're being moved. They're being turned aside. You know, there were two times in David's life where he was moved. When he went to the Philistines, Achish, and Ziklag. And you remember what happened there. Ziklag, on one of the, while David's out running around doing some of his raids or coming back from Fighting, going to fight the children of Israel with the Philistines and the king finally sends it back because the princes don't want him. Ziklag's been burned and all his family's been taken and, you know, his men thought of stoning him. The other time he was moved or turned aside from right was with Bathsheba. And 2 Samuel twelve fourteen, speaking about that, that circumstance, says this, Howbeit, because by this deed... Thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. You see, when we move from our faith in the word of God, we give the world opportunities to blaspheme our God. So when we fail to trust God and to obey him in difficult times, we give occasion to the world. So the Proverbs 25, 26 says this, A righteous man falling down before the wicked is as a troubled fountain in a corrupt spring. It contaminates everything. A righteous man falling down before wicked. 1 John 2, 9-11 says, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brothers in darkness even now, he that loveth his brother abideth in light. There is none occasion of stumbling in him. See, if we abide in the light, there won't be any occasion of stumbling in us. But we have to walk in the light. But he that hateth his brothers in darkness and walk in darkness and know not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. You know, Ephesians 5 says we're to walk in the light. Proving what is acceptable, what is pleasing to the Lord. You know, the word proving there means to examine. It also means to deem worthy or to recognize as genuine. And the world, we, we should want the world to look at us and recognize us as genuine. 
Is our faith real? You know, when the world looks at your view of Christianity, do they think it's real or, I mean, does it affect the way you live? Does the world snicker at God or respect God because of you? That's a question we could ask ourselves. Psalm 16.8 says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is my right hand. I shall not be moved. And so we need to be like David and say, Lord, lighten mine eyes. Lighten mine eyes. Give me understanding in this situation, in this troublesome, difficult place. And then thirdly, we need to be rejoicing in his salvation. Verse 5 says, But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. You know, she says, I have trusted. I have. You know, these are, these are deliberate, again, deliberate choices. I will sing. We have to trust. In the midst of our times where we feel like God is somewhere out there, he's, he's not, he's forgot about us. It seems like he's forgot about us. We need to trust him. We need to trust him. We need to rest in his promises, and we have to cast down our feelings And we have to rest on his promises. And it's a choice. <coughs> Paul said, I die daily. So every day, Paul had to determine that God was going to take care of him, even in the difficult circumstances that he would find himself in. Could you imagine facing a riot almost every day? Well, not every day, but every place he went to. Seemed like there was some kind of uproar. And many times his life was threatened. And so he had to continually... Trust the Lord. Rest on his promises. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. So we need to keep our minds stayed on him. And trust him, for he is everlasting strength. Of course, in the New Testament, we have 1 Thessalonians 5.24. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. God doesn't ask anything of us that he will not also give us the strength, the ability, the means to do it. Now, it may try you. And you may feel overwhelmed at times. But if we trust him, he will supply the needs. He didn't say he'd supply our wants. He did say our needs. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. 
So may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Lord of Second Chronicles. There's a couple of illustrations there. But go to Second Chronicles chapter 20. We'll just look at one of them. Second Chronicles chapter 20. <coughs> Verse 1 says, Second Chronicles 20 and verse 1, came to pass after this also that the children of Moab, the children of Ammon, with them other besides the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria. Behold, they are in Hezazon Tamer, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared. He feared. And... He set himself to seek the Lord. He did the right thing here. And proclaimed a fast throughout the land of all Judah. Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord our God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? In thine hand there is not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? And they dwelt therein, and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil cometh upon us, as a sword, judgment, and pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house, and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. And now... Behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit it. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Jehoshaphat says, we don't know what to do. But I want you to notice what Jehoshaphat did do. He said, Lord, this is the land you promised to give us. And these are the people that you would not let us destroy when we came into this land. And you said if we would pray from this house. What's he doing? He's reminding God of his promises to his people. You know when you're in a difficult situation and you seem overwhelmed, you need to remind God of his promises. It'll get the ear of God. Drop down to verse 20. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. And when he had consulted the people, he appointed singers. They're going to war. So he appoints singers. Doesn't that seem kind of odd? He points singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, 
Praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, and which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them. When they made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy one another. Another. And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked under the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days in gathering of the spoil. It was so much. See, Jehoshaphat set his heart to seek the Lord. And then he, he trusted God. He said, you need to believe in the Lord your God. Believe his prophets. And then rejoice. Sing. Sing unto the Lord. Sing unto the Lord. Because he hath not dwelt bountifully. You know, Ephesians, in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 3, he says, That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and height, to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church. By Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. See, we need to rejoice in his salvation. Now, Jehoshaphat rejoiced in it before it happened because he believed God. When you're faced with a difficult situation, you need to thank God for how he provides and will provide because God will keep his promise. And God is pleased God is greatly pleased when we trust him. In fact, the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please him. And so we need God to enlighten our eyes to who he is. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. And so we need to rejoice in his salvation, in the midst of our difficult circumstances. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time in your word. Thank you for the promises that it gives us. Thank you for the understanding it gives us of our God and his greatness. Father, I pray that you help us to rejoice in him, in you. Lord, help us to rest in your promises. Do not be overcome by our feelings to exercise faith in the true and living God who has said he'll never leave us nor forsake us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.